Go fund me or go rip me off. Inside Story starts right now. everyone it is sunday september 16 2018 it is time for inside story let us meet our insiders of the week we have donna gentile o'donnell nonprofit executive good morning donna. good morning matt farah jimenez nonprofit executive as well good morning farah good morning david dix governmental affairs expert hello hello david. good to be here and dom giordano radio talk show host for profit executive <laughs> <laughs> actually i am too then come to think of it. All right, let's talk about the GoFundMe scandal. It blew up this week with word from the New Jersey couple's lawyer that they will likely be indicted. What happened to the $400,000 raised on the donation site for the Philadelphia homeless man, John Bobbitt, remains a mystery. All the people who thought they were sending their money to help Bobbitt turn his life around are now wondering if it instead went to the pockets of Caitlin McClure and Mark D'Amico. Nonprofit executives right here. So we'll start with you guys. Should there be consumer protections for people who donate to these sites? Should GoFundMe somehow be classified more as a united way than a for, because it is for profit, a for profit site? What do you think? I think that, it, well, first of all, I'm very saddened by the whole thing because I always thought it was so great to have sort of this boots-on-the-ground mentality about providing some support for people who needed it. I've set up GoFundMe campaigns for different people that were that had terrible things happen, felt very good about, you know, the outcomes. So I, I kind of just feel sad about it from a humanitarian standpoint. Does there need to be more oversight? I think so. I actually don't think so. And it's a little bit of because it should be more buyer beware. There is an element. The reason GoFundMe is popular is because it allows individuals to give gifts to individuals and to very quickly do that. You can set up very quickly. There's not a tremendous amount of oversight, and you can quickly uh, make a gift yourself. And I get moved on occasion to do a gift through a GoFundMe page. What you have to recognize is that you're giving a gift to an individual. And so just in the same way that people question when they hand want to hand a dollar to someone that they see asking for that outside of a, a grocery store, they question whether or not it's going to be put to good use, you need to ask yourself the same question before you do that. There are plenty of places that provide oversight, and one of the things to think about with GoFundMe is that it's the way it's structured. Is the gift being made to a nonprofit, which has already been vetted? Is the GoFundMe page being made mm -hmm. to serve so that you put it in trust to a hospital or to a nonprofit to serve the individual, which is another way to kind of avoid all of those complications? But also on the part when you're giving and you're collecting, you might get taxed. So they might be grateful that all that might be considered is a conviction, but they might also get a tax bill off of that $400,000. Donna David, I think some people are surprised when they learn this is a for-profit company, mm -hmm. GoFundMe, yeah. uh, allows people to raise money for anything. I saw a 62-year-old right. man from Cincinnati who didn't have enough money to retire, and he's just asking people to, to give him money. Uh, they make money by processing fees that they charge when mm -hmm. you know, people make right. the transactions. They Facebook do. has a donate button yep. as well, so you can do th things on, on those things. Mm -hmm. So, again, with, with Donna saying there should be more oversight, what do you think? No, I think this is the epitome of the good side of the Internet, and these things have a shelf life. If you put all that red tape in and God knows who's doing the oversight, people will get less that might be worthy, like mm -hmm. Bob. I mean, that story was riveting. But then another story comes along and that's out there, 
And the slow-moving sort of stuff, Matt, would take away from that. So I'd say no. Yeah, to me, GoFundMe is the democratization of philanthropy. Right. And it allows folks to give to right. where they want to give and know mm -hmm. that it's going there. In this case, I mean, there's a lot of murkiness. Apparently, the homeless man had given the, his, this woman his last $20, and that's what kind mm -hmm. of incited them to start the GoFundMe site. There should be some, you know, provisions. But to Ferris points, buyer beware. You know, it really is. It, what, was it you or you that said this is one of the good things about the Internet? Yeah. Because yeah. 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 there's exactly. so many yes. bad things. <laughs> well, but it's a multi, you could lose out in this too, yeah, but that's a sure. good thing. It's instant, it moves you. And for yeah. every story like this, there's a hundred stories sure. of yeah. people being taken care of. Right, and, exactly. and, we, and, we, and let's not forget, remember when all the big tragedies, 9-11, Hurricane Sandy, mm. Hurricane Katrina, there are individuals who take advantage of people's largesse sure. and generosity. And so there will always be that incident, even in those instances where the giving is going to a credible organization like an American Red Cross, mm, right. it is still, people are still finding ways to scam. And I, I like when David said the democracy of this. I like the quirkiness. That 62-year-old guy who was retiring. <laughs> if you don't want to give to him and tell him, then go and work for him. Right. Yeah. But if you do and you want to throw a buck your way, you think it's kind of clever, why not? It's fun. Yeah. If some guy or, or gal you didn't know knocked in your front door asking for money, you'd probably check their background. Right. So why not do it in these instances, right? And now we have so many friends and connections on Facebook. In my case, I have 5,000. So every, every one of them, give, give me $10, and I think I'll be good <laughs> <laughs> All right, let, let's talk about Pope Francis meeting with the U.S. cardinals and bishops in an unprecedented meeting over the pre-sex abuse scandal. It, it's, it's ballooning again. Church leaders called the meeting, which was held in private, Fruitful didn't really say much more than that. Meanwhile, House Speaker Mark Terzai in Harrisburg says he plans to take up a bill that would allow a two-year window for sex abuse victims with claims past the statute of limitations to sue. Now, some people wanted to have a blanket retroactive uh, elimination of limits on lawsuits. He thinks there should be a two-year window. Talk about that and also talk about why sex crimes in particular seem to have all sorts of limitations when other serious crimes, murder, uh, robberies, assaults, do, do not. In terms of the statute of limitations, I think creating window is both um, an interesting and important uh, way to think about addressing these this, this larger issue, but it also sets a, a precedent that may be troublesome down the pike. Um, I am so deeply empathetic with the victims and their families. I've read those reports, and they are gut-wrenching. I cried through the first one, which was generated by Lynn Abraham here in Philadelphia in 2005. What I am more concerned about is the implications for the Catholic Church and for the the uh, the, the folks that are within the hierarchy of the church. You know, in, in corporate America, we expect competition at the executive level. But in a, in a church, in a spiritual organization, we, we expect a higher standard, which is part of what the sex abuse scandal is about. But we should also expect a higher standard with respect to how the dialogue is occurring. So the fact that nothing is being said about that meeting, I think is important, and I might add correct. I think the biggest challenge that Pope Francis faces is he can't figure out who the serpents are in his own church. And I want to point out the fact that this nuncio, the diplomat of the Catholic Church, who threw the church into a world 
worldwide firestorm has has disappeared, showed back up again, um, wrote that seven thousand word screed in which there was there were no facts, and a reporter helped aided and abetted this, which I think is disgraceful. Well, I, so, I would add though, yeah. Donna, that the Pope has, in my view, a lot to answer for here. Apparently, what about previous popes? Well, wait a minute. Well, with this Pope now too, and I think it's very defensive to attack a man who is an Archbishop who put this out. Uh, Archbishop Chaput has called upon the Pope to stop this synod with kids because he's concerned about this. But there he are is people an that opponent of with this the... Pope, Don. He well, so what? So well, it's wrong. Why can't you be it's an opponent wrong. of this Pope? Why? Why can't you be? Why? Because it, this, is a, this is a political fight internal to Excuse the Catholic Church. Excuse me, the Church. Pope is the most political of all, in my view. Yeah. Well, this Pope has been the least political. The previous yeah. Popes were the ones who lived in the Vatican, beginning with Ratzinger, who we now right. know has left. I, I mean, I now understand why he left. Well, let's well, get back to, what yeah. do you think about the limitations? <laughs> Statue of limitations. Say, I really can't comment on that. Two-year window. So, so the two-year window is a compromise uh, sure. against, obviously, the fact that right now you can't sue mm -hmm. or the idea of expanding it all the way out. Um, so it's limitless. Uh, right now the law allows for uh, civil cases up to 30 uh, years of age mm -hmm. once you claim and if criminal conviction if you cite um, a sex crime, uh, claim sex crime, being a victim of sex crime up to 50 years of age. The... I, I understand that now the Senate is actually probably poised to accept the two-year window as, as also a compromise, so the likelihood is this is going to pass both the House and the Senate. Um, what it does, though, is it opens it up not just to crimes of the Catholic, uh, victims of the Catholic Church, but it also opens it up to all sex crime yeah, victims. So mm -hmm. it is a massive, and as you can imagine, people are lining up, seating their cases, ready to go, and that two-year window basically means anybody who currently is alive is going to be So the worry claim. here is <laughs> only the lawyers getting rich and false claims going into mm -hmm. the pot. I don't what know do that think? that should be the worry, Matt. We had a systematic abuse of children for decades. And, and still, yeah, I mean, the report goes up to you know, 10 years ago, but it doesn't talk about what's happened since then. It doesn't, happen, doesn't talk about what's happened since then to remove this scourge from our church. And the idea that we're going to think more about the revenues of the church moving forward or the revenues of lawyers who are presenting these cases is the wrong focus. Let's focus on the victims. And if we do that, I think we would be aligned with you know, the church in its highest regard. But let's make sure we're not just limiting this conversation to the church. It's opening right. it up to all sex crime victims, and As therefore that's part of why this debate is so right. difficult. But the idea that because once you open it up to every potential victim, then you have the, a likelihood that you're going to have a mountain of claims, some of which right. aren't right. I would say the final point on this, though, that makes a difference, they had no voice, they couldn't come forward with the church, and right. two, we know about the cover-up. At least the AG says that. So there's paper and all that. Even if these priests are dead and can't defend themselves, it's the church cover-up part of this where there is some background that can be looked at in statute of limitations. Any other organization that behaved this way would be in line for racketeering, would be in line right. for criminal conviction right. as an institution. And the fact that we are saying that we're going to focus on things other than the church and their criminal wrongdoing is, the fo is, is not in the truest regard of the law, justice, or the church. Well, it's there's one thing worth, one other point worth making. I mean, the Vatican actually, b because it is a principality, it, it, it enjoys certain, uh, certain uh, uh, status. Smallest country in Europe. Yeah. 
yeah. the smallest country in Europe. Ha we send a diplomat to the sure. to the Vatican from the United States government. So, so I, I'm not sure that a RICO action would actually be doable under those I'm conditions. I mean, if we just look at the at the at the conference of bishops here in Pennsylvania or the conference of bishops mm -hmm. in the United States. Right, right. I mean, I'm not a lawyer, but to me, every other institution that's behaved this way has been convicted I'm or not, charged. Miss America time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's time for Miss America. Anyone watch it? Yeah. I did. I, I did. I did. Yeah. All right. I was coerced into watching. Mia Franklin was crowned in Atlantic City. She won the pageant, Miss New York. It is now in its 2.0 phase. No swimsuit competition and more job interview type segments. <laughs> the organization, led by Gretchen Carlson, meanwhile, announced the day after that a pageant commission report on bullying claims by now former Miss America Caramond were unfounded. But here's the problem they never actually interviewed. Come yeah. So my question is, Gretchen Carlson is a savvy person. She worked at Fox News. Mm -hmm. She knows how the media works. How could she allow the organization to say, oh, yeah, there's no bullying, but we didn't talk to the person who says she was bullied? Well, it's it's fascinating yeah. that 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 was the dynamic, and and I think it says something important about the value proposition of of the Miss America pageant, where it is now. Fine, they got rid of swimsuits. It's still a beauty contest. I'm not in favor. I think I think that if you're going to give out scholarships, there are better ways to do it. David yeah. watched it. And you liked <laughs> it. I did like it. I mean, when I looked at sure, yeah. they're beautiful women. What's and, not but, to like? But but it's a competition too, <laughs> and, and that's the part that I enjoy. When you saw the poise and beauty and radiance of Nia Franklin. I thought she, I mean, from the first segment through the end, she kind of stood out to me. And it was fun as a competition. Since I'm not watching NFL football, <laughs> I got a chance to watch <laughs> a whole other story. Tom, uh, Farrah, what'd you think? I mean, I think it's wonderful. It was always something that I enjoyed watching uh, growing up. I think the Miss America pageant exemplifies all of the beautiful qualities of the United States. It's lovely women, very elegant and poised, who are going on to pursue careers and is super talented. Um, one of the challenges for the Miss America program has been that they've had declining viewership. They're, they're down 3 million viewers from about five years ago. Mm -hmm. They've struggled financially. They still have massive deficits every year. Um, so they're going to have to figure out how to write that ship. And the best way to do that will likely be to figure out how you invite more of the contestants in to help shape and define the program going forward so that reflects um, a more modern approach. I think there's been a debate around the women in the swimsuits for years and years. They took the crisis and made that an opportunity to remove the swimsuit component. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot more that needs to be addressed. Bring back the swimsuits. That's well, my uh, 30 seconds. I, I would say just skip it all and go to show me your shoes. <laughs> so, well, there you, go. you could do that. That but might be effective, yeah. yeah but the sure. idea of this woman being bullied, essentially what Miss America was saying is that she, she had to like speak in parameters that they offered and like she, right. she had to toe the line. And I wouldn't expect anything less for an organization like Miss America than to script their, their, uh, their, their, their queens and the script, script their folks to kind of present themselves. And the final ass they made of her was to speak before the Miss American pageant so that they could wrap this up after the pageant mm -hmm. and she was unwilling to speak to them. we got to wrap things up right now but we're coming mm -hmm. back more stuff to talk about when yeah. Inside Story continues. 6ABC's Inside Story is presented by Temple University. Back with Inside Story Senator Cory Booker insists I am I am a rule breaker. The New Jersey Democrat says he released what were confidential documents about Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh during his hearings last week. Booker then dared Republicans to throw him out of the upper chamber. But Republicans said, aha, a lawyer had already given Booker permission to release the documents. So just so you get this straight, 
Booker says he violated the rules and risked getting thrown out of the Senate. The Republicans said he did. Yeah. Uh, is anyone confused? No, I think this is what you expect out of Washington. He did not violate it. I thought it was great theater, though, to yeah. some things that drag on. The Spartacus line will live on forever. I don't think to his benefit, though. Well, uh, Cory Booker has a reputation of being a self-proclaimed superhero ever since he was mayor of New Newark, <laughs> where he was known to tweet about rescuing women from burning buildings sure. and dogs <laughs> and cats. And, true. Um, and then, uh, but the other thing that's true about Cory Booker is that he, at least when he was Newark mayor, he was more of moderate. He supported Bain Capital. He was very pro-Israel. Um, he was pro-charter schools. He has now had to make a total pivot to be able to... Uh, launch his campaign for president. So he's got to turn very hard left. And so in doing, I think all of that histrionics and theatrics is his attempt to position himself to be left and left and left of center and to be the Spartacus for the left-leaning liberals. Should he stop running for president in, even in moments where he doesn't think he is? Yes, yes. I mean, I, 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 as a Democrat, I agree with everything that Farah just said, and that is a statement. And it's a statement about Cory Booker, and it's a statement about where we need to be as Democrats going into the next election. His presidential ambitions need to be tamped down. He needs to do the job he's he's been sent to do. David, if he were a superhero, he'd be Dudley Do Right because this is someone who's <laughs> never broken the rules from his time as a yeah. Rhodes Scholar at Oxford to, to All American football player at Stanford. He's somebody who's literally walked the line as as, as close as you can. And you know, it's a little bit of theatrics, but certainly not. He would not break any rules. In but mass. it's interesting you say that. So he's walked the line absolutely. Yeah. But I think now because of the pressures to be mm -hmm. so left of center, he's walking a new line, sure. which is requiring him to do things that are out of his character. It's really unfortunate because I think most of America is really hankering for a moderate uh, Democrat to run for president um, and to have options. And he would have been the star for that. And but the Kavanaugh hearings were auditions for everybody who's just yeah. oh, yeah. president exactly. two years. Exactly. Real quick, Kavanaugh gets confirmed. Yes, yes, I think without a doubt. <laughs> that yeah, I think, okay, yeah. let's talk about the Pennsylvania governor's race. Governor Wolf releases his playbook. Less I'm anti-Trump. More, I'm for this. The Democrat who is running for re-election, as you know, told the party's fall meeting that voters don't want to hear what they are against, which is almost always Trump. But they do want to hear what they are about, in Wolf's words, helping people, doing the right thing, showing integrity. Is Governor Wolf onto something? Well, I think at the state level he is, but on the national level, I feel the pressure that Cory Booker and Elizabeth Warren and these others, they have to prove their virtue signaling. They're the most against Trump. They'll go after Trump the most. Mm -hmm. I don't think Wolf does. I think in Pennsylvania, he's right. That's what they're going to look at in a government. I've said before on the show, the problem the Democratic Party has is they're in, caught within this fight of whether they go left or right as opposed to how they go forward. And I think Governor Wolf last week was kind of speaking to that. How does the party move forward? How do they offer something to people rather than saying that they're, what they're against. I think it's the right, right tack for them, for sure. Yeah, Governor Wolf is dead on in that. And, and I think that, uh, his, that that approach will redound to his benefit going into his, his reelect. Mm -hmm. And I hope it sing, signals to the National Party where we ought to be going, how we ought to be thinking about this. I think the challenge for uh, Governor Wolf is his running mate, who is very left uh, and, and serves as a real contrast to Governor Wolf, who I think is more moderate. He, I mean, at the state committee uh, event, there was a speaker who talked about we need to go after the millionaires, and they're 
candidate for governor yes. is a millionaire. Yes. And yeah. so the irony here is that I think that the um, vulnerability in the campaign is not Governor Wolf. I think he is viewed quite favorably. I think it's his running mate. Dom, uh, Scott Wagner, his GOP opponent, mm -hmm. wants to go after the painkiller companies and says that the idea of the state joining this uh, subpoenaing of, of companies with other state attorneys general is no good. What do you think? Uh, I think that Republicans are being forced into a position where the consensus is now go after Big Pharma, go after the pain companies. And I think that's what Wagner's hearing. And sometimes he doesn't articulate it that well. People care about this issue. But I don't know that that's the right spot where he is. And I don't know that it gives him any pushback against Governor Wolf. Yeah, what do you guys think? I mean, it's, a, it's the right stance to take. Obviously, Big Pharma has overstepped in terms of the way that, um, way that they've inundated our communities with these pills. Um, but I don't know at this stage of the, of the, of the campaign that it's something that's going to earn him a lot of good favor between now and November. Okay, let's talk about red light cameras to devices yeah. that divvy out speed tickets like robots which, I mean, they're taking over anyway, yeah. automatically. <laughs> Activists want more done about one of Philadelphia's most dangerous roadways, Roosevelt Boulevard. They propose, and again, these are activists, they propose adding speed detection devices along the Roosevelt Boulevard that would send a speeding driver a ticket in the mail, $150 for the first offense. It just happens automatically. The lives of other drivers, passengers, and pedestrians, they say, is at stake. Farah, set them up, or is this too much big brother? Uh, well, I'll just answer it this way. State Representative John Taylor, who's represented Philadelphia as a Republican for uh, more than two decades, is retiring at the end of this year. There are only about nine legislative days left to get this passed in the House. I think this is going to be a gift to him because he's been a big supporter of the speed detection cameras because he lives near Roosevelt Boulevard. I think it's going to pass regardless of where people stand, and I understand all the advocates are pushing now because they know this is their window of time to get this done. David, this, no. is, this is what poor big cities do. They find ways to increase their revenue by taxing without a tax their residents. And, you know, if you already have a red light camera, now you're going to have speed robots identifying folks. You know, any number of people are going to be getting tickets they cannot afford. I think a, a easy alternative is just put speed bumps on Roosevelt Boulevard and then you won't have to worry about it. Well, I also think, um, I think you need to put people on notice. Put up signs that say, we're watching you. We're watching how fast you're going and we'll make you pay. Maybe they can get those puncture tire things, too. Yeah. We'll be right back with Inside Story of the Week. Six ABC's Inside Story is presented by Temple University. Inside Story of the Week, we start with Donna. So kudos to the Kennedy administration for assembling the North Star Conference, which is going to happen the first week in October. Um, it's co-sponsored with city government and the Black and Brown Foundation. It's about targeting entrepreneurship and new development of ideas and potential companies in black and Latina communities. Um, these are folks that generally don't get drawn into the mainstream of development, and they're putting a stake in the ground. Good for the city government. Thanks, Donna Fair. For those of you who thought that it was the legislature and the governor who decided what our budget looks like, it looks like there's a case working its way through the Commonwealth Court, presented by the Commonwealth Foundation, which is making an argument that we need to be more committed to a balanced budget uh, requirement in our Constitution. And as such, they want the courts to do an oversight of each budget. Imagine if we thought December was far too late to see a budget, imagine how much later we might now see it. 
Thanks, Farrah. David. Another unfortunate case of domestic terrorism uh, befet uh, PWC executive Botham Jean in Dallas, Texas, where he was murdered uh, by a police officer. This was a case that you would think could get everything right. I mean, he comes from a great family, he was church going, and he was with a very prestigious accounting firm. But in the early states, it doesn't seem like they've gotten anything right. This woman was arrested three days later in a county that wasn't the county of the incident. So um, in, in light of you know the validation of Colin Kaepernick and so many other things that are going on, I thought this was worthwhile to lift up. Thanks, David. Dom. Matto, very weighty matter, speaking of sign of the apocalypse. Amazon knows how Americans think, and what they're doing now is this Christmas, they'll deliver a Christmas tree to your doorstep. They believe, and I've talked about this on my show, People don't find it pleasurable with the kiddies to go and cut the tree, hot chocolate, or get the tree, and they'll sell a million trees or more. Wow. Bah humbug. Yeah, right. thank you. <laughs> That's Inside Story for this week. Hope to join us next week, and I'll see you Monday morning on Action News at 4 a.m. We'll see you later.